it's just really one of those cuts or one of those proteins that um, you know it just keeps on giving. You know whether it's slow cooked or um, you know roasted or barbecued. When it's cooked well, um, and sometimes even when it's not cooked well, you're always going to get a delicious product. This is the crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Growing up in the regional Victorian town of Warrnambool, Jake Nicholson had no idea of the level of skill, camaraderie and influence the world of chefing could possibly have. But after beginning his apprenticeship with one of Australia's most influential operators, Ulla Wolf Tusker, he began a journey that has led him to run some of Brisbane's best restaurants. Jake, you're at the helm of eight or nine restaurants that are leading the way in Brisbane's culinary landscape. What's it like managing and ordering food for so many venues? Oh, well, it can get sort of test me out on occasions. Um, obviously, the restaurants um, come from many different cuisines. So we have Chinese and Japanese. We have an Australian heritage barbecue and grill. And now we, of course, have a French bistro called Bisu Bisu and uh, Iris Rooftop, which is Mediterranean. So, yeah, it's sort of... Um, keeps me busy enough. Um, I've got some great guys sort of in place and sort of the head chefs sort of, you know, know how to do their thing. But, um, yeah, definitely get the run around on occasions. But, yeah, it's been exciting. <laughs> Have you developed a meat program to um, to look after all of those venues and the various cuts that they may require? Yeah, I mean, look, each of them sort of have their own specific identity. So if you consider Bisu that we just opened, it's a French brasserie and that features a beautiful um, a rotisserie grill, which we sort of have things like, um, you know, beautiful crispy skin, roast pork belly and things like that, but even things like lamb shoulders and, and your traditional sort of chicken on there. But, um, you know, a big favourite has been the, the roast pork belly um, that we sort of put on there. And and then at, over at Donna Chang, we, we have things like, um, you know, roast little baby suckling pigs and, um, you know, of course, the Chinese cuisine sort of, you know, promotes quite a lot of, of meat eaters and that type of thing there. So, we, yeah, I mean... Blackbird really has been our, um, you know, flagship, I guess, for, you know, Heritage Australian Barbecue and Grill. So, um, you know, we, we've, we've had some great pork dishes over the time there. and You know, we've had a big close connection with um, Schiltz Family Farm, Vaughan Schiltz up there has, you know, given us some amazing produce. Which I think, um, you know, Ben Williamson spoke a lot about in, in his podcast. Um, you know, Vaughan is, you know, a, a man on the land. He's definitely a farmer that knows what he's talking about and when it comes to um pork he's the man we sort of see when we're up here in brisbane um so blackbird features his um beautiful pigs quite often um but then yeah of course we have you know a big range of, of beef and lamb and, and whatnot over there so yeah it's good to get a bit of variety across the menus and across the different venues I know you love to use the best produce you can get your hands on and you you forge amazing connections with farmers. Do you have any stories of being on on a, on a pig farm? Um, I mean, look, I've, I have had my fair share of sort of running on farms. I, I grew up in country Victoria, um, actually on a dairy farm down there and and we, uh, we had a few pigs and that sort of thing there. And um, I know that sort of when I was a little tucker, sort of par would, throw us in the pen there and the, the little pigs had run out and grab us in the legs and, and whatnot. Um, 
but you know that was predominantly sort of cattle and stuff there. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, I, I love animals. I, you know, I'm, a, I'm an animal lover at heart, and um, you know, when somebody's sort of doing really well with the produce and raising the the cattle in ethical ways and um, you know sustainable methods, it's you know it, it really shines through on the food that you do and. Um, you know, it, it's paramount really for creating menus that um, are not only sustainable but also taste great and, um, you know, uh, you know, can build iconic restaurants. You mentioned the Schultz family. What is it that, that's so great about their pork and the connection that you have with them? I think that, um, you know, first and foremost, someone like Vaughan is, you know, he cares about... Um, you know, everything from, you know, what he grows on the farm, what he feeds the pigs, how those um, animals are raised. He cares about um, utilising, you know, the most of the land. Um, so he will do things like, um, you know, he'll, he'll get milk and things from, from animals there and, and make it into cheese and he'll, you know, grow clover and things to um, feed the pigs with. Um, you know, he he's... Children even sort of raise um, some suckling pigs when they're young and they learn about, um, you know, raising uh, animals and, you know, that, that sort of care. And, I mean, I know some people sort of can sort of think that that type of thing is hocus-pocus, but when you have enough care and passion about something you do um, and you have pride and, and, you know, someone like Vaughan, he, he follows through with, um, you know, calling us up in the kitchen and, and seeing how, you know, the produce was received and were we happy with everything? And, you know, he talks about the fat covering and about, you know, what we're going to do with it. And, he, um, you know, he lives and breathes, breathes the industry. And that's something that, you know, I really hold close to my heart and, um, you know, it's a reason why I will never take um, Vaughan's um, pork off our menus. You mentioned you grew up in country Victoria. Tell us about when you first started your career as a, in a commercial kitchen. Do you remember your first day as a chef? Um, yeah, I do. I, I'll tell you about um, when I was – I grew up in Warrnambool, so I went to a, a public school down there and I wasn't very much of an academic. I mean, I, I sort of understood, you know, maths and English, but I just wasn't really um, focused enough. Um, Warrnambool, of course, is a country town that's sort of, you know, it's full of beaches and, you know, you're either a skeg or you're a skater um, when you're from down there. And um, I was—I wish I was—I wish I could say I was a good surfer. Um, sort of from this, this from the same area. David Boyle's from actually. So his surf was probably bigger because he's from Port Ferry. So someone like me would be a bit too afraid of uh, the waves that are in Port Ferry. But for me, um, I applied myself to cooking. Um, you know, the early subject hospitality and. Um, and that sort of thing. And I, I kind of, I did started to do really well. And, and from there, I sort of, I love doing work experience because, I mean, to be honest, at that stage, you used to earn $5. I think you still do earn $5 for the work experience. And um, I would go into the local restaurants and get to hang out with the, the chef for the day and, and basically just wash dishes and things. So I did that about three or four times. I think it was just a, another way for me to get out of school, <laughs> to be honest. But, um, you know, I, I slowly saved up a little bit of money and um, I was pretty happy about that. And a, a job became advertised at school um, on the wall. Um, I was looking for an apprentice chef. And this was in 1995, um, showing how old I am there. But um, 
I applied and about four or five other kids applied at the same time and went on down there and I met uh, the guy, the, the chef owner called Paul Amarant and um, I was lucky enough to land the job at that stage and it was, it was just him and myself. Basically, um, we were famous for $5 pastas and also um, seafood platters, mostly was fried on those seafood platters. They were giant platters and... Um, yeah, they, you know, I took real pride in sort of, you know, fanning my rock melon really nice and spreading the chips and the calamari over the top and that sort of thing. And I remember um, the first day in the kitchen, really, we we did service and, um, you know, I was sort of like, well, who's going to wash all these dishes, Paul? And he's like, well, that's you, mate. And then uh, <laughs> uh, it was head down mama from then on there. So, um, yeah, I, I would cook all the food. <laughs> serve all the $5 pastas, fry all the chips, and then I'd have to wash all the pots and pans and all the plates at the end of it for, as a reward. But um, I loved it. Like, I loved, um, you know, the the challenge of it. I loved being in a kitchen. I loved wearing the checkered chef pants. And, um, you know, where that sort of brought me to was, um, you know, a, another story, I guess. Tell us where you went to from there. You've worked for some pretty iconic restaurateurs over your career before making a mark of your own, what were the real integral um, moments and people that you worked with? Well, I mean, strangely enough, working for Paul Amarant um, and doing those $5 pastas, he, there was another side of him actually that he would sit me down at the end of service and we would talk about, you know, where the industry could take you and, and you know, where it could lead you. Um, and he'd actually done a small amount of time at the Waterside Inn in London I'm in England. And um, so he would show me through his photo albums back then. And um, he had a big tall hat on. And, you know, and, and for someone who grew up in country Victoria, I didn't really sort of envisage that, you know, your work could take you overseas or you could travel or, you know, it was all new to me. So he sort of painted a picture that, you know, the world was your oyster. Um, and I guess a bit further down the track, um, I had to sort of move on really. I think it was kind of, he had to recruit another staff member and we sort of decided it was my turn to leave. And I was about a year into my apprenticeship and picked up the paper and, you know, um, back in the day when you look in the back of the age or whatnot for, for a job and there was an, an advert in there for the lake house in Dalesford. Um, and I applied uh, to that one. It was about an hour and a half to two hours drive from Warnable. So, as an 18-year-old, I, um, I think Dad might have drove me down there. I was still yet to buy a car and turned up and um, walked into the lake house in Dalesford. Um, and I you couldn't believe what I saw. I just couldn't believe that um, hospitality could be um, this amazing. I just couldn't believe that, you know, a restaurant could um, have – you know, so many happy people in the same place. And um, that's where I met Allah. And, uh, yeah, sort of I, you know, finished the rest of my apprenticeship there. Um, at the same time, a, a good friend of mine, um, Karina, she's now at the Slope Inn, and she was another um, of the apprentices that got hired that same week. So we did our apprenticeships together. So um, very lucky there. And, um, yeah, I guess... You know, from there, Ella really, um, you know, she promoted local produce before 
that was really even a big thing. She, you know, obviously her and, and her husband, Alan, had been um, slowly building Lake House up over the, the, the previous, you know, decade before I got there. But, um, you know, from what I saw, it was, you know, just growing from strength to strength. She was, you know, promoting the local farmers and the industry and, you know, more and more cars were starting to arrive at Galesford. And, you know, I, I was learning about, dining out and celebrating food and, you know, drinking beautiful wine and, you know, picking mushrooms on the side of the road and buying chestnuts and, you know, preparing um, the food from the land. And um, that was really the basis for me, for um, my ethos that I've taken with me from to this day. Ala Wolftoska is uh, one of Australia's most respected and awarded uh, chefs and restaurateurs. What, what was she really like to work with? Well, I was lucky enough that uh, I was one of the last apprentices that she was still full-time in the kitchen. Um, I mean, I always refer to her as my culinary mother, um, and I guess she she welcomed me into the industry, you know, on a big soft pillow of, um, you know, there'd be rubs on the back and, um, you know, there was a certain element of, um, you know, of, of knowing exactly what she wanted. She, she wanted you to... Um, you know, do well. She wanted you to excel. And, um, you know, I remember my mum had sort of said to me, when you get in that kitchen, Jake, you, you always look busy. You know, you be on your toes and you, you know, when you're not doing something, pick up the brush and go around and sweep the floor. And, and, and that's really what I did. And I remember Alice said to uh, one of the head chefs, does that guy know where the toilet is? And <laughs> they're like, yeah, yeah, he's just, uh, <laughs> he's just on his toes, that guy. So, I mean, look, Allah. Ella was someone who could read you like a book. She knew when you were feeling down. She, you know, she sort of, she, if you were enthusiastic, she thrived on that. She loved to teach us new things. She loved to, um, you know, get, get you involved in, in what was happening. And, um, you know, it, it, I mean, it's going to sound a bit sort of incestuous, but we were like a little family there at Lake House. And we, and it's still to this day, you know, Ella refers to the Lake House team as a tribe and, they are family, um, and uh, yeah, they they look after each other, and um, you know that's the basis of their success. Having grown up in the country and then worked at one of Australia's best regional restaurants, what was it like for you moving to Melbourne and and living and breathing and working in the in the city? So, I mean, I got a big wake up call from. Lake House, I went to Europe uh, to work in London for a while over there. Um, so that was sort of my eye open to, a, you know, a big city. But, I mean, if we're talking about Melbourne, um, so I was accustomed to a bigger city at that stage. Melbourne, I guess, my career had sort of developed enough to understand that I wanted to work for uh, a group or a family or I wanted to work for a chef that was known and that someone would nurture um, a young and upcoming chef or someone who would nurture my um, my need to want and, and my need to learn. Um, and I had picked up the phone and, and actually just directly called Andrew McConnell because, um, you know, that's that's what you did, did back then. You'd you know, if you if you want something, you go after it. And so I had a good conversation with Andrew, and he'd opened um, dining room um, three one two at the time in Carlton. Um, so that was sort of you know the 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 new it and in thing at the time. And you know I was sort of 
hoping that I could end up there. But um, he had an opening at Circa. Um, and so I, yeah, was more than happy to go down and have a look. And that's where I met my good friend Matt Wilkinson. And strangely enough, the, the roster at that stage had some big, big names on there. It was Dave Moyle. It was um, JP Twoom was there. Um so Andrew McConnell and Philippa Sibley was in the kitchen there, Steve Rogers. So it was like an all-star lineup, and I was number seven down the track. Um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, after about two years' time, you know, people sort of moved out of the way and shuffled around a little bit. And in 2010, I found myself as head chef of a restaurant that I'd looked and admired to for many, many years as an apprentice. And, um, yeah, the rest is history from there. What was it about working with Andrew McConnell and and such a strong brigade? What what sort of impact did that have on you um, as a growing young chef? Well, I mean, you know, it, it was everything to me, really. I think that, you know, it's, it's easy to take for granted the way your career or the way that, you know, your path can lead you into certain places. But, you know, I've been very, very lucky to land um, in some very, very prestigious spots and also some spots that have really helped me hone my skills and really refine um, and teach me what I needed to learn, you know, to move on to the next step. So, I mean, Andrew's food was – it was the first time that I'd really seen food that, you know, it didn't require like a starch or it didn't require – you know, potato. It didn't have to be so heavily handed. It wasn't always about, you know, spending hours and things on sauces. Um, him and, and both Matt Wilkinson and, and um, even David and um, Andrew, they all had a natural ability to get the most out of each ingredient. So whether it be, you know, heirloom carrot varieties or, you know, beautiful vegetables, seasonality and all that sort of thing started to come back where I guess in England um, – you had the best of, you know, of the world where you could pretty much fly in anything from everywhere. So France, you know, w- would be in season with, you know, berries at the same time as you were getting, um, you know, tomatoes from another part of the world and that type of thing. So you kind of lost that seasonality in a sense where Circa and, and Andrew McConnell's food was about getting the best out of each and every ingredient on the plate. So, um you know, putting the effort into making sure that, you know, you had amazing flavoured um, peas in the height of the season or, um, you know, your carrots or your vegetables, and that was was paramount to the cooking. And that's something that, um, you know, I've always taken with me and, you know, been very, very lucky to learn. Many Australian chefs head over to London to work and get experience. What impact did that experience have on you? Well, it shook me about a bit, to be honest. I mean, it, it was a big, big move. And um, I went over there with about, basically about $1,000 in my in my pocket, which was not very much back then um, at all. Still not very much now, mind you. Um, but, and again, Allah had sort of pushed me towards going to learn at a Michelin star level. Um, and I was lucky enough to work at the vineyard at Stockross, which was, you know, one of the the top luxury hotels of the world. So that particular kitchen was the second best equipped in Europe. Um, They'd just earned a Michelin star when I arrived there and I was chef number 20 um, and we would cook for about 60 people a night. So 
it was a very, very well-equipped kitchen and it gave me a chance to um, learn things like how to perfectly dice shallots and ch- chives and how to build terrines and, um, and, and also, I guess, you know, making sauces. And, you know, that had its own bakery section that had seven walk-in cool rooms. It had a walk-in freezer. It had a chocolate room sitting at seven degrees or, or whatever it is. And um, it, it gave us the opportunity to, you know, practice and learn and hone our skills. Um, but it also ran, I guess, like a, like a regimented army-type operation, which is, you know, coming from Allah's, you know, big fluffy welcome to hospitality and the rubs on the back it was a very very big eye-opener for me and um even more so when i went from uh the vineyard of stockross into the center of london when i walked in the back of the square with my knives and bumped into a guy called brett graham um and was working under philip howard for the next year and a half from there um was certainly the biggest um and most testing time of my career, but also one of the most rewarding um, that I could, I could say that I've, I've been involved in. Circa was uh, the first time you got a head chef role. How different was that to working in the kitchens you had been in and, and what impact did it have on you? Well, I mean, I was lucky enough to, I took over as the sous chef when JP was sort of just moving on towards um, 312 at the time. So I sort of rubbed shoulders with him a little bit and I I was pretty proud to, you know, I was very, very happy to be working for the Van Handles at the time. Um, John and Lisa were, you know, amazing owners. They were also from Warnable as well. John was from Warnable. Um, So a bit of hometown uh, (laughs) blood really was, um, you know, I took that with a lot of pride Um, and, I worked, you know, Matt Wilkinson and David Moyle were both um, dual head chefs for a couple of years while I was there before David moved up to the Beach Hotel at Byron Bay for a little while. Um, And I was Matt's sous chef for about two years. So I was sort of in training at that stage, but also I've really enjoyed the opportunity trying to um, give Matt every opportunity he had to – excel as a head chef and i really enjoyed being that connection between him uh the producers and and the rest of the team so when i sort of had the opportunity to take over in 2010 um it was it was like a reward to me i you know i was it was something i really really wanted i you know i i guess in the years beforehand like as an apprentice, I would sort of save all of my money to come and dine at Circa. And, and Michael Lambie was the head chef at the time then. Circa held three hats at a certain period of that time. And, um, you know, 10 years later, when I took over as head chef, it, to me it was, um, you know, it was just a huge tick for me in my career. And, and um, you know, it was a job that I... You know, I held in very, very high regard. And, you know, and still to this day, it's sort of something that, you know, I just I'm just so glad that I've got that on my resume um, that I was head chef of Circa the Prince. How did you end up in Brisbane? Well, um, it was a few years later, so Circa sort of went through a bit of a transition where um, I again, I mean, if I was to think about anyone who I wanted to work with in Melbourne at that time, because strangely enough, as head chef, 
I always sort of still knew that I had more to learn and, and I'm, I've never been someone who wants to climb ladders before I'm ready. Like I always, you know, I believe that it's still possible to learn things off everybody, like whether they're in the kitchen or they're not in the kitchen, whether they're the kitchen porter or they're the front of house manager or anyone. So I still had a, a real sort of drive to learn from Paul Wilson. Um, and I mean, he is obviously, um, you know, an extremely talented chef and, um, you know, comes with a wealth of experience. And just strangely enough, he took over um, the Melbourne Pub Group, came to Circa and and, uh, and I got the opportunity to work with Paul Wilson for a couple of years. Um, and from there, um, it's sort of, I was approached by a group up here, um, the Ganims, um, and Nami sort of said, oh, how would you think about coming up to Brisbane? And I just was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not coming up to Brisbane. You know, I'm king of the castle down here. I'm in St Kilda. I'm head chef of Circa. You know, you can't pull me out of here. And, you know, we sort of had a meeting and I sort of, I looked at the plans for Blackbird um, up here and, you know, it's hanging out over the water. It's looking at the Story Bridge. And I just, to me, I was thinking, you know what this place needs? It needs a good chef and a good team. And this is the right place. This is, this is where I want to be. And, um, you know, it just it just sort of started to come together and I just decided, you know what, I'm going to go for it. And um, moved up here in 2013. So, yeah, moving into nine years now. Blackbird has won many accolades in your time there um, and it's known for the amazing meat program and offering that you have. Uh, tell, tell us about some of the pork dishes that you've had over the years that have been really successful. Yeah, so... I mean, a lot of the time we um, we utilise the whole suckling pig. So we, you know, sort of early on in the piece, we contacted um, Vaughan or, you know, I think he was kind of a friend of a friend actually or one of the family members. So, yeah, we got hold of him and started sort of working a lot with his, his suckling pigs. Um, and we were also able to get things like, pig's blood and um, and that type of thing. And we started doing dinners um, called Many Feasts from One Beast. And what we did was we we tried to produce as many different things as we could out of suckling pigs or out of even a bit older pigs. Um, so we would produce things like pig's head cremeskies where we sort of take the heads and we slowly braise them down and you know, add in some sort of aromats and chopped vegetables and reduce the sauce down until it's nice and sticky and fold that through the pulled meat and then we'd sort of press that and, and crumb it and fry it. So um we make we'd make uh, black pudding out of the out of the blood. We'd make beautiful pork scratchlings out of the skin. I think I also we introduced another dish. I actually um Andrew McConnell had sort of brought it out and you know, it's it's a silk purse, um, and I'm sure you've talked about silk purse before on on this podcast. But um, a silk purse from a sow's ear. So we introduced that up here, really, just trying to see if um, people would would like our um, stuffed pig's ear. So it's a it's a pig's ear that's stuffed with a chicken mousseline that's split with um, garlic butter, and we serve that with sautéed snails. Um, and a green goddess dressing. So it's basically like a slow-braised pig's ear that's then um, between the skin and the cartilage, you split it up, and then you put a chicken mousseline that's sort of split with garlic mousse, 
Um, and then you crumb that and fry it, and um, that's how you make the silk purse out of a pig's ear. So that one was pretty popular. Um, yeah, we have over at um, at Iris Rooftop, which is a bit of a Mediterranean vibe, um, we've got a very popular dish over there, um, the pincho ribs. Um, so pincho basically means like spear, and it's um, – we do some slow-cooked ribs. They're glazed in fino sherry and served with macadamia nut honey. Those ones are very popular up on the rooftop when the sun is shining and, you know, the, the sort of beers and stuff come out and people are sort of licking their fingers over that one. Um, pretty good. And, and then, uh, yeah, over at Donachang, we have some charsu pork ribs or we do just the traditional charsu pork neck and stuff, and that's very popular. And, um, of course... We have um, at Boom Boom Room, we have a Japanese restaurant, an Izakaya actually, underneath Donna Chang. Um, and then, yeah, we have just traditional street food type stuff like katsu sandos with bulldog sauce. And we also have a, um, a beautiful um, pork, uh, a pork rib tomahawk um, over there that, that's pretty popular as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think like, from from a younger age, you know, actually when I was working at Lake House back in the day, I think sort of Ella introduced me to a lady down there called Judy Crow from Western Plains Pork. And um, if I can tell you a story about that, it's quite interesting actually. I um, entered a competition called the, the Borges, uh, the Ferran Adria Scholarship, and basically – it was a cooking competition, and strangely enough, that cooking competition was held at Circa. And this was in 2004, so it was a long time before I was actually working there. Um, and basically, the judges at that time were um, Matt Preston, Shannon Bennett, Andrew McConnell, um, I think John Methylene was actually the judge. And it was in the final, and so I actually used the – Western Plains pork from Judy, and I rolled the pork belly um, nice and tight up into um, into a roll and tied it with string, and then I slowly braised that in like an aromatic sort of stock until that was really nice and gelatinous, and then pull that out and then re-wrap it again in, in cling film and basically allow it to set overnight until it becomes quite firm. And what I did was slice through that pork belly, sort of like a steak, but it was like um, – when you pan fry it, it's beautiful and crispy and, you know, you, you season it well. It, it does spit everywhere. You can burn your arms pretty easily. But, <laughs> um, I mean, if you get, get enough of the liquid and stuff out, but it, I, I call it a crispy on a pork. And the dish I did was crispy on a pork. It's a rolled belly, slow cooked. Um, I did it with cauliflower puree, scallops, and a black bean vinaigrette. And uh, the judges... They absolutely loved it, and um, I, yeah, won the won the trip and ended up doing a little bit of a stint over at um, El Bulli for that one. How different was the El Bulli experience to what you what you had known up until that point? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I was just a little boy from <laughs> I was a little fella up from the country. All of a sudden, I was in um, Catalan, like Catalonia. You know, in Albuquerque, it was it was very different. It was a big eye opener. It was there was thirty six chefs there actually cooking for fifty people. Um, there wasn't many ovens and things around. It wasn't many things that I was familiar with. But um, yeah, I mean, look at, at that 
and at that scale, you know, to be the number one restaurant in the world at that time was, you know, an unbelievable experience. Um, and, yeah, I mean, look, my jobs when I was there was, I mean, I even cleaned the rocks on the road. At the end of, at the, end of the season, we actually went out onto the driveway where the cars would drive in. Not many cars would drive in, mind you. And we'd have to pick up all the rocks and we'd wash all the rocks and we'd wrap all the rocks and put them all into a container. And then at the start of the season, those rocks went back out onto the road. And so, I mean, that's outside. What was going on inside was on a whole new level. <laughs> You're known as one of the best um, protein uh, and meat cooks in, in Brisbane, if not Australia. Um, when it comes to a pig, though, is there a cut that you prefer? And can you tell us how you cook it? Yeah, I mean, I... I like St. Louis, Louis cut pork ribs. Um, I mean, I know it can be a bit sort of like American barbecue, but if you look for the St. Louis cut, actually it has a sort of, it's almost like a belly layer of um, meat um, and, and sort of fat covering. It doesn't have skin, but it just, they are very, very sort of juicy ribs. Um, and, we, I always slow cook that. It can lend itself to so many different cuisines. You can, you know, you can put Asian flavors. You can do it through master stock. You can, you know, use Atchiot rubs and do Mexican type flavor, or you can just do sort of traditional barbecue and stuff as well. So, like, I really um, love to to use cuts like that. Um, you know, people can't get enough of that, those type of things. Um, you know, I think that trotters are another amazing ingredient as well to always have in your kitchen. I, I was lucky enough to spend a little bit of time, um, and, and I'm talking about a day or two over at St. John in London. Um, you know, they're very big advocates for, for pork and, of course, simple cookery um, done really well. Um, and they have this stuff called trotter gear, which I'm sure you've, you've heard about, but they basically always have it in the fridge and it's, basically slight, slowly cooked and pulled apart the meat and the, the gelatinous substance off the trotters. Um, and that is used in a lot of things, um, sauces and soups and um, added to salads and whatnot. And um, like those type of things, I think the thing with pork, you know, it's extremely versatile. You can have it for breakfast, you can have it for dinner. I mean, it's, you know, if, it's things like, smoking um you can smoke your own bacon it's charcuterie it's like you know if you if you take a beautiful piece of pork shoulder and and slowly braise it um you know into aromats and some stock and then shred it down and add that back with some you know fat and and things you've got a beautiful riette and um you know it's it's just really one of those cuts or one of those proteins that um you know, it just keeps on giving. Like, it just, you know, I've seen it used in desserts. I've seen it, you know, served as a main ingredient. I've seen the primals used. I mean, you know, a, a line of pork, um, you know, whether it's slow-cooked or, um, you know, roasted or barbecued, you know, it's when it's cooked well, um, and sometimes even when it's not cooked well, you're always going to get a delicious product, product, product when you choose the best product. You've got... um almost 10 uh, restaurants that you're looking after in Brisbane. What's what's next for you? Will there be more restaurants on the horizon? Well, I mean, never say never <laughs> in this industry. Um, 
look, Brisbane is, you know, an ever-changing and ever-growing market. It just, I mean, I think that, you know, for anyone sort of listening that's, you know, thinking about the lockdowns and, you know, how grim this year has been, I guess uh, on a positive note, um, you know, the industry, it, it can bounce back quite quickly. And, and what we've really seen up here in Brisbane is that, you know, restaurateurs are, you know, looking for new market and, you know, the business has sort of pivoted. And, um, you know, there's still lots of building and infrastructure going on. So Brisbane has, um, you know, some big plans. Obviously, we, we nailed the uh, the Olympics in 2032. So, um, you know, and we welcome everyone, you know, <laughs> when our beaches and, you know, things open, we welcome you all back to our wet and wild and dream world and, you know, up to Noosa and up to Port Douglas and that sort of thing. So we are expecting a big tourism boom um, nationally. Um, and so, you know, with that comes more restaurants. And, um, yeah, I mean, I I don't have an actual concept and stuff for you today. But, um, yeah, we're, 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 um, we just opened three in the last six months. So we had Boom Boom is a Kaya. We had Bisu over at the uh, Hotel X in the Fortitude Valley and the Iris rooftop. So, look, I think the rest of this year is, is done and dusted. And then, um, yeah, who knows next year. We'll um, keep you posted on that one. Well, Jake, I'm sure that we'll hear of something in the not-too-distant future. We've loved having you on The Crackling today to hear your story. Uh, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Awesome. Thanks again, Huck. Cheers, mate. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.